Father, we're um, grateful that we can um, pray together uh, as a church body, that we can rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep and enter into each other's sorrows. Thank you for everyone that is here this morning, and we pray your, uh, your blessing on each one of us. Lord, may our hearts and minds be open to uh, your truth this morning. Uh, Lord, may they know that um, many, many people are praying for them and love them, and, and Lord, we just uh, uh, and pray for uh, your direction and will and healing. And uh, Lord, now uh, open up our minds to your truth, and we'll thank you for the privilege of being here today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, hey, we've been looking at the book of 2 Timothy, and we want to continue on uh, in, in 2 Timothy. Uh, and the title of the series is Timeless Truths for Troublesome Times. And you know the background, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, that this is the Apostle Paul's last letter. This is his last will and testament. He's in prison, and he's been in a lot of prisons through his life and ministry, but this is the last stop. He's in that Mamertine prison in Rome, which is basically a hole in the ground. It's a holding cell, uh, not long-term for prisoners, but it's a holding cell until they go and be executed. And so Paul knows, as he writes in uh, chapter 4, verse 7 of 2 Timothy, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. Not all of us know when death comes, but uh, some get the opportunity, and Paul knows, I'm not going to be here very long. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to die soon, and so Paul writes this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, to share his last thoughts and encouraging words to, to Timothy. And Timothy's a pastor, he's in Ephesus, one of the larger cities of the first century. He's experiencing some troubled times. Uh, the troubled times that Timothy is facing is that uh, there's false teachers that are infiltrating the church. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, predicted that when he met with the Ephesian elders of the church um, in Acts chapter 20, and he said, false teachers are going to come into the church. I want you to be aware of that. And that's what happened. And so Timothy is there. Uh, combating the false teachers that are trying to uh, work their way into the, the church and the correct doctrine. Timothy also has some physical problems. There's an interesting verse in 1 Timothy 5.23 where uh, Paul uh, writes to Timothy and he says, Stop drinking only water. <laughs> Apparently the, the water wasn't very good for Timothy. Take a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So here's Timothy He's a young pastor, he's dealing with false teachers, he's got some physical problems, and he's also facing intense persecution from the Roman Emperor Nero. Rome burns in 64 AD, and Nero's looking for someone to blame, and he blames Christians, and now all of a sudden Nero is ratcheting up uh, persecution on Christians, and, and Timothy's facing that, and the believers are facing that. But perhaps the most troubling thing for Timothy is that his, his mentor, his spiritual father, uh, the Apostle Paul, who mentored him in the faith, is about to die. And he's going to lose that, uh, that spiritual father that, that uh, invested in his life 
And so Timothy's facing troubled times just like we're facing troubled times. And so Paul writes this letter and he's, uh, he's encouraging uh, Timothy, trying to encourage Timothy. The first chapter, he says, Timothy, I want you to be encouraged. Be encouraged because you're loved. You're loved by God with an everlasting, unending love. We sing about it, oh, the wonder of it all, that God loves us. And Timothy, you're gifted, and so don't neglect that gift, but fan that gift into flame and keep using the gift that God's given you. And Timothy, you've been called. Timothy, you need to be encouraged, but more than that, you need to stay focused, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, you need to focus on the source of your strength. The source of the strength was God's sustaining grace in, in his life. And we talked about the fact that when, when difficulties come to us, God will either grace our pain, as he told the Apostle Paul when he prayed that his thorn in the flesh would be removed. Uh, God decided not to remove it in his sovereignty, but he said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you grace to make it through. And my strength has made power in your weakness. So God will either grace your pain or he'll erase your pain. And so, Timothy, I want you to focus on God's sustaining grace in your life. Timothy, I want you to focus on investing in the lives of faithful people. 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've heard from me and trust to what? Reliable people who will be able to what? Minister and touch the lives of others. And so, Timothy, stay focused on investing in the lives of faithful people. And then lastly, he says, stay focused on perseverance and discipline. Timothy, you need to be like in the Christian life, you need to be like that faithful soldier who is focusing on command, pleasing his commanding officer. Timothy, you need to be like that athlete who disciplines himself. You need to be like that hardworking farmer. Timothy, you need to persevere in God's calling in your life. And then lastly, thirdly, as we looked at last week, uh, we looked at 2 Timothy 2 uh, beginning in verse 8, the, the third admonition was, Timothy, remember Jesus. And we pointed out that that encouragement to remember Jesus in the original Greek is a present active imperative. It means keep on remembering Jesus. Keep Jesus in the forefront of your mind. Remember that Jesus is alive. Remember Christ Jesus raised from the dead, that we serve a risen Savior. And what's the distinction between Christianity and every other world religion? It's the fact that the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. Remember his ancestry. He's descended from David. He fulfills all the biblical prophecies. Remember that the word of God is not bound. As Paul reminds Timothy, I'm in chains, but you cannot chain God's word. And we talked about how God's word uh, has spread throughout the world. And the more that persecution comes in various countries, the more that God's word uh, grows and spreads and the church abounds. Well, we're going to come to uh, this next section of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's uh, beginning in verse 14. And so Paul has uh, written to Timothy, and he says, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to stay focused. I want you to keep on remembering Jesus. And then in verse 14, he says, keep reminding God's people of these things. So now Paul tells Timothy, I want you to remind God's people of some things. It's interesting that um, we all need reminders, and maybe 
more so as we get a little older, but all throughout Scripture, God has given us some, some markers, some reminders. To the Israelites, he gave them seven feasts, seven festivals, Leviticus chapter 23. Why? So they wouldn't forget what God had done for them. And perhaps the key one is the Passover, the feast of the Passover that uh, is a remembrance of how God delivered them from 400 years of bondage in Egypt. God's given to the church some, some um, remembrances. Uh, the Lord's table and uh, the, the communion table in front of me is in car- carved with the words, this do in remembrance of me. I don't want you to ever, ever forget what the cross and what Jesus has done. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 to uh, believers, I will always remind you of these things. I think it is right to refresh your memory. Every now and then I've maybe have preached a sermon and someone's come up to me and says, well, I, I, I remember you preached that one before. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just reminding you. Yeah, that's biblical. Reminding you again. Keep on reminding God's people. So Paul writes to Timothy and says, I want you to avoid four things, and then I want you to pursue four things. So we're going to go down through the text and kind of pick those out, and, uh, and then uh, we'll conclude this morning. So keep on reminding God's people, and uh, Timothy, avoid four things. And let's look at it, verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things warn them, that's an imperative, that's a command, warn them before God. Uh, This this is serious, Timothy. Warn them before God. When we do uh, wedding ceremonies and uh, uh, part of the introductory words you say is we're here in the presence of God and these witnesses. This is a serious occasion. And and Paul's adding a seriousness to, to Timothy. He says, I want you to warn God's people before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. So Timothy warned God's people about quarreling before about words. It's the Greek word logomachio. It means to wrangle, to argue about words, to wage a war of words. And in the context of 2 Timothy, it's referring to those false teachers, the false teachers that were trying to get into the church. And as Paul wrote earlier in in Second in First Timothy chapter uh, one, um, he gives us some context here. Stay in Ephesus. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. So don't get involved in the the wrangling of words and arguing with these false teachers about these myths and endless genealogies. Notice Paul says it's of no value. He says it only ruins those who listen. That word there, ruin, means catastrophe. The word catastrophe comes from that. It's catastrophic. It's catastrophic to their spiritual lives. Timothy, remind God's people to avoid quarreling about words. And then he goes on in verse 16, avoid godless chatter. That's the NIV. Uh, The New King James Version says, 
profane and idle babblings, the New Living Translation, worthless and foolish talk. Don't get involved in worthless and foolish talk. Why? The rest of the verse tells us. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Don't waste your time with worthless and foolish well, we could uh, insert some applications there today. Um, TV talk shows. <laughs> Paul would say, don't waste your time. Uh, social media discussions that get involved on Facebook or whatever social media platform and arguing back and forth. Worthless and foolish talk. Don't get involved with that. He goes on to say in verse 17, this and it's referring to these false teachers, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Now, gangrene is a serious infection that if that's not addressed, it will result in amputation or death. And so, so Timothy, don't get involved with that. And what I, what I find interesting and fascinating is now Paul begins to name some names. He begins to call out some people that are in the church and are teaching false doctrine. Look at it in verse uh, last part of verse 17. Among them, these false teachers, are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul has already written to Timothy and mentioned um, this first individual, Hymenaeus. He gives some strong words about uh, Hymenaeus. Let me, let me read 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. He's telling Timothy, Hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Some people's lives have, have ended up shipwrecked because they've not, they've not continued on and, and, and followed the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Wow. Paul, Paul's, Paul's issuing some strong words here about, about false teachers, about those that would, would lead others astray. Notice he, he goes on to say in verse 18 about Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So one of the false teachings that they were saying that, hey, the, the resurrection's already happened. Uh, we don't know exactly what that's referring to, but maybe they believed in a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. And they were teaching that there was no future resurrection. And in doing so, they were destroying the faith of other people. Now, this is why in the book of James, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, James talks about not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. If you're in a position of, of, of leadership and of teaching God's word, you better be very, very, very careful because you'll be held to a higher account. And if you're not teaching truth, you are literally leading people astray. There are many today that are teaching a false way of salvation and a, a works-based salvation and, and not teaching the truth of God's word. 
and people's faith is being destroyed. Well, Timothy, I want you to avoid quarreling about words and worthless, foolish talk. And then he says in verse 22 uh, to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. The word there, flee, is the word fuego. We get the word fugitive from it. I want you to avoid youthful lusts. I hope you know who your enemies are in the Christian life. The Bible says there are three of them. Uh, there's the world. That's, that's the world system that is anti-God. There's the flesh, uh, the, the, our, our, our sinful flesh and sinful passions. And Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 7 as he struggles with it. He says, the things I want to do uh, that I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And he goes, oh, wretched man that I am. And what's Paul doing? He's wrestling with his, his flesh. His sinful desires. And then there's the devil, Ephesians chapter 6. Be wary of uh, the the methods, the methodology, the the wiles of the devil is the old King James word. It's the word methods of the devil. And so, um, Timothy, you need to run from the youthful lusts of the flesh. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. Uh, Verse 16, uh, the Apostle John writes about this as well. And he says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust of the flesh, probably three big areas there. Number one, money. The Bible has a lot to say about about money, and and, uh, money makes a, a wonderful tool, but a horrible master, and how easy it is to get off focus where that's our primary goal. Sexual desires. It's interesting when the Bible talks about that, that, that it always says flee. Always says in addressing that, it always says run. Don't pray about it. You need to run. You need to flee. That was Joseph's uh, strategy when Mrs. Potiphar was uh, grabbing his coat and Joseph runs and leaves his coat in the clutches of Mrs. Potiphar. Oh, we, need to, we need to flee youthful lusts. And by the way, we need to be reminded what God's standard is here in, in our sexual lives, that, that sex is God's gift, but it is exclusively within the confines of what? A marriage. And the church has forgotten that today. And we've lowered the standard. And so flee youthful lust, And then power, uh, the desire for, for power and control. And Jesus says, greatness in my kingdom is servanthood. It's servanthood. Well, a fourth thing that Paul says to avoid, then we'll get to things to pursue here. So just very quickly, uh, verse 23, don't have, this is the NIV, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I'll have to admit, I I didn't think the word stupid was in the Bible. (laughs) But it is. Don't have anything to do with foolish and Stupid or ignorant arguments. Foolish is the word moros. We get the word moronic. Ignorant is the word unlearned. Don't have anything to do with that. The New Living Translation says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. Well, four things to avoid. And now Paul um, turns the corner and he uh, tells Timothy, now here's four things I want you to pursue. 
I want you to, and, and again, this is, this is a command. This is an imperative. Four things I want you to pursue and run after. Let's look at the first one. It's found in one of the more, most familiar verses in all the Bible, verse 15. And it happens to be, um, we have a Awana program. This is the, the keystone verse for Awana. So people say, well, what does Awana stand for? And here it is, uh, straight out of 2 Timothy 2.15. Approved workmen are not ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's, uh, let's look at it. Uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The King James Version says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Another translation, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive God's approval. Now, what's Paul talking about here? He's not talking about salvation. Timothy is already a follower of Jesus. He's not talking about justification. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about your service to God. And Timothy, I want you, as, I want you to seek God's approval. Present yourself to God. Has the idea of inspection and inventory so that you will be one approved. The word approved, dokamos, refers to favorably passing careful scrutiny and therefore being counted worthy. Did you know, and it's all through Scripture, that someday... We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. There's two main judgments in Scripture. One for unbelievers, one for believers. The one for unbelievers is called the great white throne judgment. We read about that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And it says the dead, both small and great, are now standing before God. And the book of life is opened up. And if you're not found in the Lamb's book of life, you're cast out into eternity of punishment in a horrible place called hell. That's the judgment for the unbelievers. I trust everybody here knows Christ as your Savior because you don't want to be at that judgment. The judgment for believers is as talked about in Romans 14, verse 10. And uh, let me go ahead and, and turn there and, and read that. Uh, it says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, this is sometimes referred to as the Bema Seat Judgment. It's not a judgment of our salvation, but it's a judgment of how we've invested our time, talent, and treasure. It's a time of reward or loss of reward. It says we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This is going to be a personal account. Imagine standing before God, and we're going to have to give an account of what we've done and how we've used our time, talent, and treasure. And Paul mentions in Corinthians, our motives are going to be judged as well. And all things will be revealed. And maybe we've been serving the Lord, but not doing it for the right motive. And we're going to, we're going to suffer loss of reward. And so Paul's concern here is, Timothy, I want you to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. One of Paul's great concerns, and here's the, the great Apostle Paul, and he writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, is that somehow he'll be disapproved at the judgment seat of Christ. And he writes about it 
in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. Some translations say, I I buffet my body. And I heard one uh, pastor in preaching on this and say the American translation is we buffet our bodies. But uh, Paul says, "I, I, I discipline my body. I buffet my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That's the word. Adakamas, the, the, the prefix alpha, it means negative. So I, I don't want to be unapproved. I don't want to, I don't want to lose the prize. I don't want to lose the reward. He goes on to say, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, one who rightly divides, correctly handles the word of truth. Uh, the word there is cutting it straight. It's the word orthodoxy. We, we go to the orthodontist to get our, our teeth straightened. And, and Paul's talking about cutting it straight, making sure that we're preaching and teaching God's word. By the way, there's, there's one interpretation of every passage. It's, it has one meaning. There are many applications. And so what we want to do is we want to, want to cut it straight. We want to get it right. We want to understand the, the meaning of the text and then I love the end of the verse here. One who correctly handles the word of truth. This book is the word of truth. And in this world in which we live, and culture in which we live, where uh, relativism and tolerance, and sometimes people say, well, I just have to live my truth. Guess what? This is the truth. John seventeen seventeen. thy word is truth. Sanctify them through the truth. And so God's truth Timothy, um, strive, do your best to be approved when you stand before God someday. Well, Timothy, I want you to pursue God's approval. Secondly, I want you to pursue being useful to the master. We're just going to summarize verses 20 and 21. But uh, Paul writes, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some are for special purposes and some for common use. He's, he's using the illustration of um, we got good China, we got everyday China uh, to, to serve, serve. And then he goes on to say, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Timothy, I want you to pursue being useful to the master. Your master is God. I want you to strive for holiness. I want you to strive for uh, being useful to him, being prepared to do any good work. And as I heard one uh, pastor say, um, God doesn't serve his meals on unclean plates. You want to be used of God, you've got to have, you gotta have a, a, a sanctified life. You've got to strive for sanctification, for holiness. The old hymn that's been around for a long time and hasn't been maybe sung anymore these days, but it's called to be used of God. The, the first verse says, I have a yearning in my heart that cannot be denied, 
It's a longing that has never yet been satisfied. I want the world to know the one who loves them so, like a flame it's burning in deep inside, to be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray, to be used of God, to show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. And I trust that's your desire today too. That, that, that we would live a life and be available for, what? for the master to, to use us for his purposes. Thirdly, Timothy, I want you to pursue godliness. This is verse, verse 22. And again, we don't have time to elaborate on all of these. But uh, Timothy, I want you to flee the, youth, the, the lusts of the evil desires of, of youth. But I want you to pursue, and then Paul lists a number of things here. I want you to pursue righteousness. That's right living. I want you to pursue faith. Not only saving faith, but sanctifying faith. Sometimes in the Christian life, we, we receive Christ as our Savior through faith, but then we think we put faith on the shelf. And no, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's impossible without faith to please God. Every day we live by, by faith and faith in God. I want you, Timothy, to pursue love. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, the three great virtues of the Christian faith. And then he says, the greatest of these is love. So I want you to pursue love. Pursue loving people. Pursue loving God. Timothy, pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Timothy, I want you to pursue peace. I like to think about the, the triad of peace in the Christian life. There's peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. If you haven't done that, you're established that peace with God, you're his enemy. And the most important person to establish peace with is, is peace with God. And Jesus made that way through his shed blood on the cross. And we simply need to what embrace that gift and receive it by faith and trust in him. But then there's also the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop worrying. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's the promise, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I've had to preach that to myself lately because in about a week my wife's having a knee replacement i've been through that with a lot of dozens of people but now i'm facing my wife having that procedure and uh, a little nervous about being a chief cook bottle washer nurse for a little time and and i'm like man i'm uh, i missed that comment i'm glad uh, i'm i'm like I'm finding myself a little worried about this. And then, hey, remember all those sermons you preached? <laughs> Philippians 4, 6, and 7. <laughs> Stop worrying. Give it to God and you'll experience his peace. Thirdly, it's, it's peace with others. And Paul talks about in Romans, if at all possible, and sometimes it's not, but if all possible, live peaceably with others. Timothy, I want you to pursue peace. Lastly, I just put the phrase of the word uh, community for verse 22 because it, it says also I want you to pursue 
uh, peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So I, I put the word community. Timothy, you need, to, you need to pursue having community and relationship with other believers. Timothy, pursue godly character. Lastly, number four, Timothy, pursue kindness and gentleness. Verse 24, he's referring specifically to to the Lord's servant and Timothy as a pastor, but it applies to all of us. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You know, some people are quarrelsome. There's been a few people I've known as like, they're only happy when they're like arguing and quarreling and bringing up some sort of controversy. Don't, Timothy... The Lord's servant should not be quarrelsome, but what kind to everyone? Kindness. Able to teach. One of the qualifications for a pastor. Not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Uh, something sometimes we as Christians aren't very good at, are we? Well, we need to, we need to be gentle and, and let God's Spirit do the convicting, not hammer people with the truth so gently instructed in the hope that god would grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth that they will come to their senses escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do their will it's interesting we talk a lot about god's will here paul says satan has a will (laughs) you're either involved in doing god's will or the evil one's will Timothy, I want you to be involved in pursuing kindness and gentleness, strength under control. Timothy, remind, keep reminding God's people four things to avoid. Avoid quarreling about words. Avoid worthless, foolish talk. Flee youthful lusts. Don't get involved in foolish and ignorant arguments. Instead, pursue God's approval. Pursue being useful to the master. Pursue godliness. Pursue kindness and gentleness. As we pursue, and here's our application statement, as we pursue God's approval, or as we pursue godly character and God's special purpose in our lives, we will not be ashamed, but hear God's approval at the judgment seat of Christ. So you want to know how to do well at the judgment seat of Christ and not be ashamed. And, and um, Dr. Erwin Lutzer in his book, um, The Eternal Reward, talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, I think there will be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be tears of regret that we've wasted our, our time, talents, and treasures and, and rather than serving the Master. Uh, and so if we're going to do well, we need to pursue godly character. We need to pursue uh, how God has designed us and his special purposes in our lives because we will all stand before him someday and give him an account. And what we want to hear on that day that um, if we know Christ, none of us are going to be able to avoid, what we want to shoot for is his words in Matthew 25. Well done good and faithful servant. As we focus on God's kingdom, as we we ask God to to use us and to use our giftedness and to faithfully serve him, on that day, we will hear God's approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
Rather than singing a closing song this morning, I saw, uh, found a song um, called Well Done by a group called The Afters. It's a little long. It's four minutes and 35 seconds. But um, I want you to hear this song. I want you to see the words on the screen. And I think and hope it will be an encouragement uh, to you. And then we'll come up and have a concluding word of prayer. But uh, listen to Well Done by uh, The Afters. What will it be like when my pain is gone? And all the worries of this world just fade away. What will it be like when you call my name in that moment when I see you face to face? I'm waiting my whole life to hear you say, well.
Would you stand with me? We'll close with prayer. Lord, thank you for um, this song that reminds us of uh, the truths that we looked at this morning. And Lord, I pray that uh, uh, your word and the words of this song will uh, encourage our hearts to live a life today and the coming days and weeks and months so that when that day comes, when we stand before you, We stand before our Lord and Savior. We stand before the one who gave his life for us, who went to the cross and experienced the excruciating pain of the cross and the pain of being separated from God the Father to purchase our salvation, that we will hear those words, well done. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in our marriages. Help us to be faithful in our parenting and grandparenting and uh, faithful in the ministries that you've called us to do and faithful in being a light and testimony to you and in the advancement of the gospel. And so, Lord, uh, we we make that uh, affirmation today and recommitment uh, to be faithful and useful to the master so that someday we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, bless us today. May that be our heart's desire. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.